let me uh, share with you a little bit, of, uh, a, a little secret of how difficult it is to run public affairs, uh, public affairs conferences. A public affairs conference, you bring together intellectuals who are primarily about ideas with real human beings who are primarily about people. And uh, there's always a tension. There's always a tension between uh, the theories that you come up with. Theories are their generalizations. Whenever you have a generalization, you run the risk, almost inevitable, the, the, the risk that you are uh, being unjust or unfair or abusing individuals in their particularity. Our theories don't capture the, the, the particularity of real human beings. And this danger is, of course, magnified immensely under the current circumstances, where there's a war going on, and uh, millions have been displaced, and thousands have been killed, and these are real people. Many of the people sitting in this room have friends and family in the Ukraine. Uh, I I'm one of those who has friends and family in the Ukraine. And we need to strive, if we're going to uh, maintain the justice of our discussion, we need to strive, on the one hand, to try to improve our theories. And on the other hand, we need to remember that real people are dying. Real people are, are, are being pushed out of their homes. Uh, real people are being made refugees, and we don't know when they'll be able to come back. And our words and our theories have the danger of making things worse. They might be able to help make things better, but they also have the danger of making things worse. Now, all of us come to this extremely difficult moment. We all come to this with, uh, with good intentions. All right? we, we're going to, we, we struggle to, to come up with the best theories that we can, and we struggle to, uh, to make sure that the particularity of, of, of individual people, of individual cities, of individual nations is not forgotten. I'll come back to this point in a minute. Having said this, I want to say that, you know, it's, uh, as a political theorist of nationalism, it's, uh, it's, a, it, it's not a bad moment if you've been struggling for years to try to understand, as I have, is there a difference between a nation state and an empire? Uh, many of you know that, that this has been a big argument now for years. For years, there's been hundreds of journalists and scholars and academics have lined up in order to tell us that this is, there isn't really a difference between a nation state and an empire. But I think today we can see it. One thing that immediately our, our theories are able to grasp in, uh, in the current war several of the speakers have mentioned, is that indeed Russia acts as an empire. Russia has never in its history been a nation state. It's always been an empire. That doesn't mean that forever it will be an empire. But at the, at, at the moment, it acts as an empire conquering a neighboring independent nation state. From our perspective, as nationalists, 
we, we feel that this is unjust. We imagine it happening to us. We say so, that, that, that a people has a right, if it's capable of, of, of asserting that right, it has a right to be able to uh, chart its own course, to uh, guard its own borders, to make its own laws, to have its own currency. As nationalists, we support this when we see it. If you're on the other side, if you're an imperialist, you say, what difference do the, do the borders really make? And, and why should everybody have their own, their own laws when we know what the right laws are? And there are plenty of people in, in Russia who think that. And as I've said over the years, there are plenty of people uh, in Brussels and in Berlin and in Washington who also think, why should others be able to, to, to determine their own laws? We know what the right laws are. And if we're nationalists, if we're national conservatives, then we're constantly checking ourselves to make sure, are, are we faithful to this idea that we should be tolerant of other people's ways? That the reason that there are different independent nations is so that there can be different ways and different experiments. This also means that different countries have different interests. So someone sitting in Washington or in Brussels doesn't necessarily understand the interests of someone who is sitting in Poland or in Hungary or in Israel or in any other country. It's difficult to understand what our neighbors are thinking. We, it's difficult for us as human beings to understand that their perspectives have legitimacy. But as nationalists, that's what we that's what we believe in, a world of independent nations, a world of nations, each of one has its own traditions and its own trajectory, and that judges its own interests on the basis of its own understanding. Why should we support, why should we support the, uh, the effort in the Ukraine to maintain Ukraine as an independent nation? Well, there's different possible reasons. I've given you my reason. You know, and you, I, 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 I look at the heroic resistance of the Ukrainians over the past month, of their leaders and of their rank and file. And I look at that and I recognize in them a, a, a humanity, not only because each of them is an individual human being made in the image of God. That's true everywhere. But what I recognize in them is these bonds of loyalty that move them to be willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of their own people. That doesn't exist everywhere and at all times and in all places. But where it exists, I, I feel that I identify with it. I feel that I want to help them. And thank God many people feel this way in the West and many people are helping them. But there's another possibility. There's a possibility that you could say, I don't believe in all of that nationalism stuff. I support the Ukrainians because I believe that there is a war of black against white, light against darkness, liberalism against tyranny. And there are some people who, who say that. They say, it's, it doesn't matter whether, you know, where the, the Ukrainian border is. What matters is that we liberals continue the fight to advance liberalism. Now, when you hear these different voices, these are 
right now we're all allied to a, to a large degree, liberals and nationalists, we're on the same side. But I want you to listen for the, 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 the dissonant notes of tyranny that we hear sometimes from our liberal allies. So for example, how can it be that the European Parliament can bring itself in the middle of this war to impose sanctions on Poland and on Hungary. How can that be? Well, I'll tell you how that it can be. Because there are certain people who see the world black and white, liberals against tyranny, and they're prepared to say that if you deviate in the direction of some tradition that we don't recognize, some value that isn't ours, if you have some different view uh, uh, about the, the proper functioning of a justice system, or what should be in a constitution, or uh, what should be taught in the schools in your country, if you have a different view about religion and state, if you have a different view, then you're an enemy like Putin is. And I'm sorry to say this because it's such a terrible accusation. And yet every day for the last few weeks, We've been hearing from liberals, both in Europe and in the United States, that you nationalists, you're on the side of Putin. Now, these people who say this, some of them are ignorant and they don't know better, which doesn't make me happy. But some of them are not ignorant and they, don't, they, they, they know quite well. They know that a liberal is not a conservative. And they, they know that political realism is not the same thing as liberal utopianism. These are, just, these are just slogans, but to make it, to, to, to make it more, more concrete, there are people who know very well that we nationalists have been going up and down in Europe for years and saying you cannot rely on the United States to defend you, to defend you against Russia. This is, this is things that we've been saying. We've been publishing this. This appears in the, in, in the newspapers under the, uh, under the names of prominent national conservatives. That the security, of Europe, uh, uh, the security of Europe against Russia is not guaranteed and that America is not capable of guaranteeing it and that Europe needs to rearm. Some of you actually met me on the, in these conversations in previous years where I, I, I sat here in Europe, and my colleagues did as well, and we said 2% is impossible. 2% of your GDP, that's, you can't defend yourselves that way. It's, it, it's going to have to be three, four, five, six, and more than that, it's not just a matter of numbers, as Attila said this morning. It's a matter of your culture. Your culture is dependent on the United States. You've given up on the, on, on, on the spirit of self-reliance. You've given up on the, on, 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 on the willingness and ability to take upon yourselves the defense of your own countries. These are all things that were said at our conferences. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm embarrassed to, to, to even mention this, but some of the people in the room don't know. Our conferences, since we began them years ago, these conferences have always had a policy that we do not accept speakers who are pro-G and we don't expect, uh, accept speakers who are pro-Putin. I'm not saying that we never made a mistake, but we, that's been our policy since this institution was founded and will continue to be our policy.
And we, we nationalists, because we understand that everyone has, every nation has its own perspective, we understand that it's not possible for every nation to step forward in the case of a crisis like this with the same things to offer. Okay, so those, those nations that are, uh, are, that are at the forefront of saying, or, or those people, let me not say nations, let me say the, those, those voices that we hear, and there are plenty of them, saying things like, well, NATO is the, is the largest military force in the history of the war. Let's start shooting. What are we waiting for? Now, you, you think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. These are, are prominent personalities in our media who say just these things. That's one perspective. Another perspective is that we aren't ready. And I asked you this two years ago when I stood here in Rome behind this podium. And I said, are you ready? Are your European armed forces ready to take on the threat from the East? Are you ready? And I didn't think you were, and I don't think you are today. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But people who are saying, let's start shooting down Russian airplanes, 6,000 nuclear warheads, don't worry about it. We've got this covered. I think that they're... The, that their, their uh, enthusiasm to, for being on the right side, and they are on the right side, has carried them too far. And I don't think it's justified, since I've always, my, my position has always been that Europe needs to defend itself against Russia. I don't see how it's justified to then say, well, you're not in favor of starting a nuclear war, so you must be a Putin supporter. Let me take this further. I'm Israeli, as you know, and in this war, Israel has not been at the forefront of arming the Ukrainians. You, you, you all know this. Israel has its own issues. Maybe you know, know them, maybe you don't. Maybe you know that two weeks ago, the, I'm sorry, that, 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 uh, that, that last month two armed drones from Iran were shot down on their way over to, to, to Israel. And even as we stand here talking about the, the justified measures that we need to take in order to d help defend Ukraine and maintain its independence, even as we stand here, Russian and American negotiators are sitting with the Iranians and paving the way for a nuclear bomb for Iran. And the, the, the same American voices that we hear saying Israel absolutely has to side to be on the side that we say Israel has to be on the side of. Your, Israel's interests are the same as Ukraine's interests. They're the same as America's interests. But where are they when it comes to, to Israel's having to deal with a nuclear bomb that's being created by the Russians and the Americans, God forbid, in Iran? Or I'll, I'll take this even further, just a little bit more. For the last 50 years of my life, I've watched and listened to well-meaning Americans and Europeans come to Israel and say, you have to make peace with your Arab neighbors. You have to make peace with your Muslim neighbors. You have to make peace, among others, with some of the bloodthirstiest killers of your own children that, 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 you've ever, that there've been in your history. You have to make peace. Okay, I understand peace is a value. I also understand that it's in America's and Europe's interest that there be peace between Israel and the, its Arab neighbors. I understand fully. But so how can it be that if peace is so valuable, that when Israel sends 
its uh, prime minister or its negotiating teams to Russia and to Ukraine to try to negotiate peace. Now we're the villains. We're pro-Putin because we want peace instead of war. How can that be? Look, the independence of nations is the recognition that each of us in our particularity, we have our own interests. And when we speak of an alliance of independent nations, and we say we don't want an empire, we don't want everything to be dictated from, from Brussels or from Washington. We want an alliance of independent nations. When we say this, we mean we want free nations that are free to determine their own interests. And through negotiation and brotherhood among nations, when a crisis comes like this one, each will put in what he can and will fight about what that is and will change each other's minds and will pressure one another. But if you can't understand that each of us has its own I mean, why do we bother having elections so that we have representatives of our own people? This is, by the way, a biblical, a biblical tr tradition that the king should be from your own people. That, that's from Deuteronomy. Wh why? Why should the king be from your own people? Why should the prime minister be from your own people? Why shouldn't he be from, from Washington or Brussels? Well, we know the answer because we believe that a king or, or a prime minister or a president from your own people has a better chance of being able to represent the interests of his own people and those interests are not the same as the interests of another nation. They, they conflict. We have different perspectives. And still we can recognize that even though we have different perspectives, we're still brothers. A brotherhood of independent nations. This is what we stand for. And it, 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 is, uh, it is simply evil-minded and wickedness to say that those who are calling for a world of independent nations, for a brotherhood of independent nations, that we're Putin supporters because of the fact that we don't support universal liberal empire. I want to talk a little bit about the broader picture. We just had this wonderful panel on China. One of the things that is difficult during these weeks is watching as the field of vision of American Europe constricts to only Ukraine. Ukraine is urgent. Ukraine is a, an urgent political and humanitarian and military problem. But the greatest threat remains China. And when we think back over recent decades, we know that the Americans and, and, and the Europeans have been asleep at the wheel for decades. Maybe you won't agree with me on this. I think so. I think that the Americans have been asleep at the wheel for decades. And two years ago, suddenly, in a moment, the Americans woke up and realized that they, that, that they don't have medicine and they don't have uh, surgical masks and they don't have surgical gowns and they don't have the most basic things that they need in order to be able to deal with an epidemic because they, they had sent all of their, their, their manufacturing capacities to China. They woke up, listened to what the Chinese were saying, and for a brief moment, 
almost a wall-to-wall coalition from left to right in America, all woke up and said, my God, we've created, we've created with our own hands not just a, a rival, but, 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 but an enemy that, 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 that wishes, wishes, us, wishes us evil, that doesn't want to, co- to help us in our hour of need, that wishes ill on us. For a moment, America woke up and saw it. And I and many others had hope that this meant that there would be a rethinking about uh, America's priorities. China is 10 times the threat, in, I'm talking about in, in terms of, uh, uh, of gross national product. China is 10 times the size of the threat of, as, that Russia is. I don't mean that Russia is not a threat. But Russia is most immediately a threat in Europe, and somebody has to think about China. And if, and, and I, look, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy that NATO, after 30 years of, of, of disintegrating and, and becoming absurd, I'm happy that NATO now suddenly has an actual purpose again. I am, I'm, I, 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 anything that I said against NATO, look, if the Germans and the Turks are willing to, to jump on board and be on the same side in, 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 in order to, to, to protect Europe against, uh, against Russia, I'm all for it. God bless NATO if that's the situation. But having said that, I'm frightened. I'm worried that NATO and Ukraine and Russia becomes the entire view, the entire field of vision. For 30 years, the Europeans have allowed themselves, as you've heard from previous speakers, 30 years, the the Europeans have allowed themselves to dismantle their armed forces, to create a culture, an anti-military culture. There's also self-hatred about their their own European history. But first and foremost, an anti-military culture where people, where where young people don't don't even think that there's a, why, why would I serve in the armed forces? Why would I fight for my country? That, that culture, you, you know that, that that's the mainstream youth culture all across Europe today. Why would I fight for my country? And the Europeans have allowed this to happen in very significant part because their leaders, were, your leaders, were always willing to say, well, Americans will take care of it. The, the Americans will take care of it. But we're in charge of the spirit. The Americans are in charge of the muscle. We're in charge of law. We work on the laws that need to govern all people in all nations. The Americans are in charge of enforcement. And now this has been a disaster. It was a disaster two, three, four years ago when we, we discussed this. It was a disaster that, that Europe had been infantilized and thought that America would take care of it when it wasn't true. And it's a disaster today when Europe is not ready to fight Russia And if Europe turns to America and says, look, look at the terrible things that are happening in the Ukraine, and of course terrible things are happening in the Ukraine, and of course something must be done, all of this is true. But if the result is that you say, well, someday we'll rearm, but now let's bring the Americans back in, they'll take care of it. This is the continuation of the same infantilization, the same fantasy, the same denial of what is real. What is real, what is real 
is that Russia is a threat to Europe and that Europe has to be able to defend against Russia. And Europe can defend against Russia. You're, 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 the European economy is, 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 is many times the size of the Russian economy. But, but something, something needs to switch in, 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 in the software. The software has to go from liberal internationalism, everybody's free to do whatever they want, to a world in which there are nations and you, ha you have obligations. Europeans have obligations to arm themselves. And this 2% of GDP, it was, always, it, was also, it was always nonsense. What, 2% won't get you anywhere. Look at countries that are serious about defending themselves. And they spend 4, 4%, 5%, 6% of GDP in or because they want to live. And what does that mean? That means that their youth go into the military. That means that their youth devote themselves to the idea that they are willing to give their lives in order to protect their country. Then they start thinking, why? Why should I defend my country? Is there anything good about my country? And then the, their elders have to explain to them what is good about their country so that they won't think they're just throwing away their lives. That entire shift needs to take place in Europe and it needs to take place now. So, yes, the Americans need to be on Europe's side and the Israelis need to be on Europe's side. We all need to be on the side of the Ukraine. All of this is true. But first and foremost, let European countries say to themselves, it's our responsibility to field armies made up of our sons and be strong enough to be able to deter Russia so that this never happens again. That's your responsibility. And if you do that, then uh, you'll see that America and Israel and every other re relevant, well-meaning country in the world will admire you for taking this upon yourselves and for standing up to, 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 to the dictators at your borders. And then maybe Europeans will be able to admire us when we, we stand up to the dictators on our borders. We are in this together a brotherhood of independent nations. This is what I'm proposing. This is what we here are here to discuss. This is what we are proposing. But that doesn't mean that we have the same exact responsibilities. It doesn't mean that we have the same exact interests. America needs to focus on China. If America is not going to focus on China now, no one is going to focus on China, and we're all finished. So let's begin with Europe taking Russia upon itself. This doesn't mean that anyone needs to abandon Europe, but it's first and foremost your responsibility. They're your neighbors. And let America, God willing, turn its mind to the Chinese rival. And together we will be able to do this. We're in, we're in a difficult position. It's been decades since we've thought in an intelligent way about security. It's been decades since we've thought in an intelligent way about nations or about history or traditions or values. But we're going to make this change now. And we have an excuse to do it because we can see what happens when we don't. We're going to make this change now. But it begins at home. 
Europe has to take responsibility for Russia, and America has to turn its attention to China. And if that happens, we'll all be able to move towards a safer, saner world, and one that is, in fact, responsible to our ancestors for, 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 for advancing the, the, the heritage that we've received from them. Thank you very much.